I want to begin today's message with a question. Uh, it's, it's an important question. It's this, how much time do you spend thinking about money? How much time do you spend throughout your day thinking about money or stuff that money can get you? Think about this. How much time do you think about, you know, if you could just get a raise in your job or, or, or daydreaming about another job that would actually make more money and then that would free you up for this? Like, I'm really, I, I would say, like, if I, if I were just to, like, quickly answer that question, I'd say, I don't spend that much time thinking about money. But then I start considering my daydreams. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Oh. How much time do you think about um, the next house project? Oh, that's a, that's a tough one. Because here's the deal. Like, even if you don't own a house, you live in a room and you stare at your room and you go, if I got that plant that costs 25 bucks and I could put it there, put the little picture up. And it, 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 but it, when you own a house, it's even worse. Because then you got a whole house and you got a yard. How much time do you spend thinking about the next project? A better question is this, and I've been asking myself this one. Does it ever end? Do we ever get to the point where we're like, all right, I'm done making improvements on my house. Now I'm just going to live in the house, enjoy the house, raise my kids in the house, and not worry about it. I'm just going to come and go. Instead of when I roll up in the driveway, I go, man, that front porch is looking weak. It's like, who did this landscaping? Oh, okay. And it's like, how does it ever end? But how, how much time do you spend thinking about the next project? And if you don't have a house to work on, maybe it's a short-term thing, like, man, if I could just have a better car. I mean, there are some incredible cars in the world these days. Does anybody like the new Bronco? Have you seen the green new Bronco? It's amazing. There's a Tesla. Like, like the Tesla with the bat doors, it's like, I don't know, it, it's just incredible. There's so many things to think about when it's related to money, but the question is, how much time do you spend thinking about that? And then on the flip side is this, how much time do you spend thinking about how to use your money to benefit the kingdom of God? That's kind of an unfair question, but it's an important question. How much time do you think about how to use your money, like strategize? How to use your money to expand the kingdom of God, to strengthen the local church, to bless others? Ooh, that hurts. I didn't even want to write that question. I was like, oh, that's just too hard. Because Jesus said this, and this is one of the scriptures we're looking at today, is no one can serve two masters because you will love one and hate the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other because you'll always be pulled in two different directions. And then he's, he said, if you're missing the message, you can't love God and money. You can't love God and be enslaved to money. You can't truly be devoted to God and always have your mind wandering thinking about the next thing you want to buy. In today's message, Jesus teaches that you cannot separ separate your faith and life. You cannot compartmentalize your faith into church and Bible study and quiet time. And then the way you handle money is a whole other category of life. He teaches us that the way you handle your money is an important part of 
your faith. And he teaches us to use our money to benefit the kingdom of God. That's where we're headed today. Because I think there's this tendency to see these as two separate categories. And God sees them as one. So let's read the story in Luke chapter 6 verses 1 through 18. Luke chapter 16 verses 1 through 18. Jesus told this story to his disciples. There was a certain rich man who had a manager handling his affairs. One day a report came to the owner that the manager was wasting his employer's money. So the employer called him in and said, what's this I hear about you? Get your report in order because you're going to be fired. So the manager's response is this. He said he thought to himself, now what? My boss has fired me. I don't have the strength to, do, to dig ditches, and I'm too proud to beg. Ah, I know what I'll do to ensure that I have plenty of friends who will give me a home when I'm fired. He comes up with this crafty plan, verse 5. So he invited each person who owed his money to his employer to come and discuss the situation. He asked the first one, how much do you owe him? The man said, I owe him 800 gallons of olive oil. So he said, here's what I want you to do. Take the bill, quickly change it to 400 gallons and pay that. And then the next one, he said, how much do you owe him? He said, I owe him 1,000 bushels of wheat. He said, here's what I want you to do. Change it to 800 and pay him that. And so you're like, man, he's being generous with his owners, with his boss's money. Like what a, what a plan so that he can have places to go when he gets fired. And so my, my first thought is, man, the manager, the owner is going to be really upset. And Jesus is going to use this as a story about being a liar and, a, and, and sneaky. But there's a surprise twist. It says, the rich man had to admire the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. Shrewd means crafty. It means strategic. And it is true that the children of this world are more shrewd in dealing with the world around them than they are the children of light. That's a hard one to understand. The children of this world, people, are better than Christians that live in the world. They're more shrewd, they're more crafty, they're more strategic. Sometimes Christians' heads are in the clouds so much they don't know how to live in the world. And you can have the opposite problem too. But then the message helps us understand it even more. It said, it's, it's, this is what the message says. Now here's a surprise. The master praised the crooked manager. And why? Because he knew how to look after himself. Streetwise people are smarter in this regard than law-abiding citizens. They're on constant alert, looking for angles, surviving by their wits. I want you to be smart in the same way, but for what is right, not for selfish gain. That's what separates being strategic in a worldly way versus a godly way. To, to do for what is right, not for selfish gain. Using every adversity to stimulate you to creative survival. That sounds cool. Using every struggle, every adversity to stimulate you, to motivate you to, to be creative. Creative survival, focusing or concentrating your attention on the bare essentials, living simply. 
so that you'll really be freed up to live. And not complacently just getting by on good behavior. Here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then when your possessions are gone, they will welcome you into an eternal home. Don't worry, your child is not being tortured. This, this, it's part of discipleship sometimes. We praise God and sometimes we just cry, you know. But it's a weird statement. Here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then when your possessions are gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home. Then verse 10, he gives, two, he gives another a principle to be able to do this. If you are faithful in the little things, you will be faithful with larger ones. But if you're dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you are untrustworthy with worldly wealth, who will trust you with riches of heaven? If you're not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with things of your own? Then verse 13, no one can serve two masters, for you will love the one and hate the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God or love God or be devoted to God and be also enslaved to money because you'll constantly be pulled apart. And this, this kind of seems out of context here, but verse 14 through 18 says, the Pharisees who dearly loved their money heard all these things and they scoffed at Jesus. They said, what's he talking about? What's he know about the law? What's he know about money? They scoffed at him. Then he said to them, you like to appear righteous in public, but God knows your hearts. They're corrupt. What this world honors is detestable in the sight of God. And then he says, until John the Baptist, the law of Moses, and the messages of the prophets were your guide. But now the good news of the kingdom of God is preached, and everyone is eager to get in. But that doesn't mean that the law has lost its force. It's easier for heaven and earth to disappear than for the smallest point of God's law to be overturned. For example, a man who divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery. And anyone who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. So I'll tell you just a little side note. This seems random, especially if you're reading it in a literal translation like the ESV. It literally, like they break it up in different sections. They don't connect all these passages. This is where the NLT, all of them are helpful in different ways, but the NLT is very helpful in this because it says, for example, a man divorces his wife and then and explains it. And then the message is even more helpful, but it looks like it's just Jesus is randomly just saying principles. But every one of these principles is driving towards one major point. And, that, and so the summary of this whole thing here is this. The point of the story was to expose the Pharisees' money problem, which was a faith problem. Jesus told this story, and he was connecting the dishonest manager to the Pharisees. So imagine sitting at this dinner table, and, and he's, he's basically calling them out, saying, you pretend to be righteous, but you're really frauds. How were they doing that? They pretended to be righteous by being expert tithers. The Pharisees majored on being experts in tithing and Sabbath keeping, things that everybody could see. And so, but they were covering up the fact that they, in their daily lives, they were irresponsible with money. They wasted money like this manager. 
and they were actually greedy. They were neglecting generosity. They weren't generous in their daily lives. So in church, they tithe not 10%, which is what tithe means, but they would tithe on their herbs and spices, on every little thing you could tithe on, which was like 20 plus percent. They were like major on the tithing, on giving to the church. But then the rest of their lives, they were irresponsible with money. And generous is sin. So Jesus tells this story to, to call them out and says, look, you pretend to be righteous by focusing on a few laws, by neglecting the rest when it comes to, especially with money. And so that's where that little, what seemed random about the thing about divorce He's saying, he's using, he was piling on examples. If he said, first it's like money, you do this with money, by tithing and being irresponsible in your daily life. But second, you've created all these like loopholes when it comes to divorce to cover up your lust for more women. Because they had created a thing where you could, in the, in the um, extra teachings, in, in uh, Jewish teachings, they had rules in there, this is no joke. Rules where you could divorce your wife for any cause. Even if her cooking was bad, it's in there. Not in the Bible. It's in the, the Mishnah, in the, in the extra rules. It's that if her cooking was, if you were displeased by her cooking, you could divorce her. And so the point was, they could just divorce, and it wasn't just for women, it wasn't just for family, it wasn't just in any way. But they had created a rule, and they were misusing the law, their own laws, to cover their desire for more women. And that's why he brings that up. It wasn't just a random teaching on divorce sprinkled into his teaching. It connected to this main point that they pretended to be righteous, but their hearts were corrupt. That's what that's there for. I was highly confused on that. But they separated their faith from their daily life. They separated their money, their, the way they handled their money in daily life from their faith in God. And so Jesus was teaching this. And he uses this story as a, as a launching point for his message. That the way you handle your money and possessions is essential to your faith. The way you handle your money and possessions, your worldly resources, is essential to your discipleship. You cannot separate your faith and money because we love to compartmentalize. We love to go to church and, and talk about the things we're good at. We love to go to church and talk about the things we feel like we're doing well at and ignore everything, the details of life. And this is like, I've heard it said that a Christian's wallet or pocketbook is the last thing God gets a hold of in their life. Which is ironic because think about how much we have to deal with money. We have to, to think about money and use money for so many interactions in the world. You can't just say, I'm not going to deal with money and be a good Christian. But you also can't be enslaved to money and be a good Christian. Jesus connects the way you handle your money and how much you trust him. That's the message today. I want to talk about that. So, so let's talk about some application here. How do we, this is the question. So how do we merge them, faith and money and daily life back together? How do we honor God and serve God with our money? Because two things that do not work that I think we're tempted to do 
if we don't have much money, or sometimes when we do have a lot of money, we say to be a good Christian means to be frugal, which is code word for cheap. And I'm telling you, I don't have time to work this out, but you cannot be cheap and be a, 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 a reflect the glory of God because God is generous as can be. Being cheap is, is built on this mindset of not having enough and it creates stinginess. God has unlimited resources. You are God's child and so you have exactly what you need. And so being cheap is not a successful option for faithfully following Jesus. But on the other hand, just giving God a good tip in church and then living however you want is not, is, is not a good option either. And so the question is, how do we honor God and serve God with our money? How do we merge this topic into our discipleship? It's right here in the scripture. He gives us three things. So Jesus gives us this beautiful vision of generosity, which is the answer. The way you honor and serve God with your money is a vision of generosity. The way he says it is, here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then when your possessions are gone, they'll welcome you to an eternal home. That at face value is very confusing. But most smart people, scholars, agree that what this means is, what he's saying is, that if you live generously with your money and possessions for the purpose of benefiting others and making friends with this possibility that those friends will see Jesus because of your generosity. They will believe in Jesus. And then one day, they will welcome you in to eternity because of your generosity. That's what most people think Jesus is saying. So I'm going to translate that into a very practical, simple practice for us. Because the vision is to live generously to benefit the kingdom of God. But to go back to the story where Jesus commends the dishonest rascal for being crafty, for being shrewd, going to combine generosity and shrewdness. Here's the principle. Here's the vision. Practice being strategically generous strategically generous with your worldly resources, your money and your possessions to benefit the kingdom of God. That is how you honor God. And that is how you serve God with your money. Whether you have a little bit of money or you've been entrusted with a lot of money, the way that Jesus is saying to do it is be strategically generous. Think about ways to be generous with your worldly resources to benefit the kingdom of God. That's an incredibly beautiful vision. What could that look like in your life? I think generosity 101, and let's just get it out of the way, because is to take a percentage of your income and to give it to your local church to strengthen the church, which is the primary organization that God has created to expand the kingdom of God. And so right off the bat, Generosity 101, to live strategically generous, let's take a little bit of my income and give it to the church and bless the church and strengthen the church 
Because the church body is the primary organization that God is using to expand his kingdom. So that's like the basics. But you don't want to stop there. Otherwise, you risk being like a Pharisee. Where you're like, oh, check, give off church giving. Now I can just spend the rest however I want. That's not the vision or the mindset of a disciple of Jesus. But that's the basics. Generosity 101, give a percentage to the church. Then now let's get creative, strategically creative. What could it look like to be strategically generous to benefit the kingdom of God? I love this. Share your home, your table, your fire pit with friends, with your neighbors, with your coworkers. Invite them into your space and bless them with good food. A good time, being hospitable, and represent the generosity of Christ through your hospitality. But to do that, you have to share, you have to intentionally open your home. How can we have people over into our space? How can we bless them? Because you know what, if I'm just thinking about my kingdom, I don't want anybody in my space. My space is my resting. So I don't even want my kids there sometimes because they're dirty. I'm like, I want my space. I don't want it perfect. But to live as a disciple of Jesus, you have to be okay with opening your home and sharing your stuff. And to really do it well, to live out this vision he's talking about of this strategy, being strategically generous is what he's calling us to, is sharing your home, sharing your table. Jesus shared meals with everyone. It's such a beautiful model of Jesus in ministry to share your table, gathering good food and inviting people around your table and blessing them. Anybody can do it. But if you go to third world countries, you come in there as a rich American, and yes, you're rich compared to everyone else. The poorest people, I've experienced this firsthand, the poorest people will take their rice that they've rationed and their beans that they rationed, no meat, they will make you wash your hands with dial soap and they will share rice and beans with you at their table, knowing in the back of their mind that they have a bunch of mouths to feed. Anyone can share their table to benefit the kingdom of God. So be strategic. And what else could it look like? Look for opportunities when you're out and about to buy someone a meal when you're at a restaurant. Have you ever had someone buy your meal and you didn't realize that the wait- waitress is like, hey, so-and-so covered it. You're like, what? It feels so good. Look for opportunities to buy someone's meal. Look around in the grocery store if you have the opportunity, if you see somebody who looks like buying their groceries would just blow them away. Look for opportunities to buy someone's groceries. Look for opportunities to buy someone's gas because someone who doesn't have a lot, that $50 at the gas pump is going to really hinder them that week. And they're thinking about that. I remember the days I was stressed about going to the grocery store and the gas pump. It adds unnecessary stress to your life. Look for opportunities to lighten someone's load. This is just one idea of how to be strategically generous. But if you want to become a master, like master class level, strategic generosity, this is where it gets good. 
Share the things that you value the most. <laughs> Giving a percentage of your income to the church is easy. Easy compared to sharing the things that you value most. Like, I've thought a lot about this. I don't like to share. Like, I'll share a lot of stuff. I love sharing food, but I don't even know if I could share my surfboard with you. Like, I got other surfboards I'll share with you. I don't know if I could share my really good surf with you because in my mind, the whole time, I'd be like, what if they mess it up? And I would probably say, hey, hey, I'd, I'd hand it to you real gently so you realize this is valuable to my heart. And I'd say, hey, hey, don't squeeze it too hard. I'd have all these instructions. Like, when you duck dive and you go under the wave, don't squeeze it because you'll pressure ding it. Like, don't leave it in your car. I had somebody do that. Don't leave it in your car and melt it. I would have all these instructions to ensure that you didn't damage my most valuable thing. I mean, like, I realized, like, even going through this exercise, I realized levels of stinginess in me that I didn't know I had. I've got a crappy uh, Bronco. I wish. I had a crappy 2000 Ford Eddie Bauer. Y'all remember Eddie Bauer? Expedition. And, I, and my son has got his license now, and so I'm sharing it with him. I'm like, hey, man, don't let it go over 2,000 RPMs because that's how I save gas. And it doesn't create any extra noises in the engine. That's not fun for anybody being shared with. Like, you have a list of things. Oh, that's not generosity. That's, that's like this. Here you go. Here you go. But if you want to be a master level at strategic generosity, try, just practice it. Try sharing things that you value the most, and it will mess with your heart. Because Jesus shared everything with us. He's the model. But that's only if you want to really get into this. You don't have to do that one. But that's, that's like the ultimate level of generosity. But here's the deal. If you practice strategic generosity, two major things are going to happen. One, you will personally experience more joy in your life than you've ever had. Because generosity produces joy. Sharing produces joy. Giving is the secret to happiness. When you share your stuff, when you share your money, you give away money, it actually makes you happy. God built that in as a benefit. So you will begin to experience more joy than you had by just hoarding everything yourself and building your own kingdom. But the second thing it'll do is you will get the privilege to see the kingdom of God grow before your eyes because you're living in a kingdom way. You're following Jesus in the way he lived. He was the ultimate sharer. He was strategically generous. And so if your life is boring right now, if your life is not exciting, you know the worst part about life I found as I'm getting older? And this means I'm getting older because I'm discovering this. The things that used to bring me great joy don't bring me that much joy anymore. That is the worst. Like, I remember when I was a kid, I first discovered this. I used to love cereal. I love it. I still love it. But I remember a cereal brought me this incredible joy, Cinnamon Toast Crunch. And I remember when I went to Grandma's house, she had all the cereals. And I remember that I, I ate cinnamon toast crunch. She let me have as many. My mom was like, no, there's this new thing in the 90s where we, we have sugar as the fourth ingredient, and so you can only have Cheerios. Like, what a lame life. And so you go to Grandma's house, and all the cereals, you can have as much as you want. And so I remember the day I, on my third bowl of cereal, I took a bite, and it didn't do anything for me. And I was like, that's life. 
You can make more money. You can buy a new car. You can keep upgrading. You can get Carolina Lyft. You can do whatever you want. And your happiness will only increase so much. And the more you do it, the less happiness you'll be able to get from it. But if you give it away and you share your life with others, God will inject joy into your heart that you can get nowhere else in the world. And you'll get to see the kingdom of God expand right in front of you. Isn't that cool? Be strategically generous with your worldly resources to benefit the kingdom of God. Real quick, Jesus piles on two more principles that are very important. Because these principles, principles enable you to be strategically generous. And if you don't do them, you're limited in, in your amount of generosity you can give. The first one is the responsibility principle. He said if you're not responsible with a little bit, you won't be able to be responsible with a lot. But if you are responsible with what you have, you can be trusted with more. It's the responsibility principle. If you're not responsible with what you have to now, whether it's a little bit or a lot, your ability to be generous will be limited because you'll be wasting things. And you won't have as much to give if you were being responsible. And so you must learn to be responsible with your worldly resources so that you can be more generous. I think this is what Jesus was speaking to when he said, the people of this world are more strategic about the way they live than Christians. Sometimes Christians are so focused on heaven that they're bad stewards with everything. They're horrible workers. You, they're like, don't hire... Well, I'm not going to get into that, but it's like the Christian fish thing. It's like they don't have great reputation at work because they're Christians. Oh, they're, you know, just Whatever. It's just, but they're not living in the world strategically, and that's what he was speaking to. And so he says, you got to be responsible so that you can be generous. And I've got a whole bunch of practical tips that I want to give you, but I'm not going to kill the message with them. I've decided if you want my practical tips, come talk to me or email me. I'll give them to you. They're really good. Um, but but I, I would, I'll just say this. Some of our, all of our elders, Jay, and Rachel, Hunter, Jennifer, Mr. and Mrs. Wilson, um, they are really strategic and good with money. And I would recommend, raise those hands so they see you. Jay's like, I, I don't want to be, uh, Jay just went to Puerto Rico and spent all his money, so he's not feeling like he's good with his money right now. But overall, Jay's really good with his money. Not, not right now at this moment, but he took communion, he asked forgiveness, he's good. But, but Jay and Rachel had like, they told this story. I'm not telling their financial details of purpose. But they had like $300,000 worth of college debt for PA school. They, they got real focused and paid it all off to free them up. And they were being a generous along the way. I witnessed this. It took them a couple of years. I witnessed the whole thing. I said, talk to them. Um, Jennifer and Hunter are incredibly strategic with their money. And I can tell you all kinds of things that they do, but go talk to them. And they're, they're like A-plus with, with money organization, but then there is better than A-plus. It's Mr. and Mrs. Wilson. <laughs> but Jennifer came from them, so. Uh, but I would go and talk to them. If you're struggling with money, you feel like you can't get ahead, you feel like money is your problem in life that is preventing you from being successful in the world and successful in generosity, go talk to them. They will help you in this. That's the beauty of the body of Christ. We lean on each other to grow. The second principle is, is very deep. It's the devotion principle. 
Jesus straight up says it. You can't have two masters because you'll love one and hate the other. You'll be devoted to one and you'll despise the other because you'll be pulled in two directions. You can't love God purely and be enslaved by making more money or wanting more money or, or whatever. And so if you're enslaved to money and desire for more and more, being generous won't even cross your mind. That, that's the test. Like if this isn't even on your radar, you need to consider how much you think about getting more from this world. That's why this, and I think these principles build, I think the first principle is so important, devotion to God, not money, responsibility with money. If you don't do these two, it's almost impossible to be strategically generous with your worldly resources. These two principles are the foundation for being able to be strategically generous. But, but devotion, I would just, this one Practical tip is what I'd say of how, because Jesus said in Matthew 6, the way you do this is to seek the kingdom of God first, and then all those things you're worried about will be added to you at his discretion. So I think the practice, the way to practice, because to me this is like, this seems like something you do in a church service where you're like, Jesus I'm going to be devoted to you, and then, and then your emotions are running hot, and as soon as your emotions wear off, you're like, what can I buy on Amazon next? It doesn't work. And so I think a practice that will, that will actually produce transformation with you, how much you are devoted to God is this. Seek, practice seeking first God and his kingdom every single morning. Every single morning by reading his word, and I would say writing down your prayers. Writing down your prayers to God so you can track them and see what God does in your prayer life. And it also helps settle your mind because if you leave them in your head, they just stay there. But if you write them down, God, I'm really stressed about this. God, how, you know, it would be incredible if you would move in this right now. So read his word and write your prayers. And that's one way of seeking his kingdom every single morning because what that'll do it'll it'll renew your mind it'll change the way you're thinking about your life but even more important it'll establish your heart for that day on God and his kingdom rather if you didn't do this you won't even be thinking about his kingdom as you're going into the marketplace as you're going to the grocery store as you're going about your daily life but if you set, seek his kingdom his presence and his kingdom first Every single morning, in his word and in prayer, your, your mind will be renewed. It will change the way you think. And it will establish your desires and heart on God and his kingdom. And you'll have a better chance that day of living as a faithful disciple of Jesus. This will not happen by accident. And if you practice this devotion to God daily, you will experience more contentment in your life. That means satisfaction. It actually happens. I've been working on, I've realized, like, I thought I was good with money. In the last two or three years, I've kind of, like, exposed some stinginess and some places where I'm greedy. I give a lot of money away. I've given consistently for 20 years, all these things. But there's, like, deep places in my soul that I'm still holding on. And I've discovered this. One area of that is, 
Like constantly, there's nothing wrong with this, but, but I think there's something wrong for me with this. Is constantly thinking about improving my house or selling my house, making money, finding a piece of property closer to the water and building a new house. I, I literally, like, I've realized, like, I've, I was like, I think about this once a month. This is a problem. This is like a pattern that is a problem. And I'm just like an angle on it and I justify it. But, but then I've realized, like, where am I going to go? Like, God has blessed me. I don't need to do that. But, but for some reason, that desire for more and more and more. So what I've done is started literally, well, not literally, but in my mind, giving that to Jesus and writing it down, going, God, you're you my shepherd. I have all that I need. And start seeing my house differently. And over the last couple of months, is, I've experienced less desire to do that and more contentment. And it's been incredible. It works. Because I'm like frustrated with myself. Why do I sit here and entertain these thoughts for more? Because they're distracting me from life today right in front of me. I'm not enjoying what's in front of me because I'm thinking about this imaginary thing. It's a fantasy for me. And, and so if you practice devotion to God daily, you'll experience more contentment, more satisfaction with your life and your heart will actually be free. It'll be free to be strategically generous with all of your worldly resources. Three questions. How could you practice strategic generosity in your daily life? The things I said were just ideas. What could it look like in your life? What are some ways you could practice strategic generosity in your daily life? How do you need to be more responsible with your money and possessions? What are some areas where you're wasting money? What are some areas where you're being greedy? How could you be more responsible with what you have today to prepare the way to be trustworthy with more? And third, what do you need to change about your morning routine to be able to seek God first? I was working on these questions and I asked Merrick, he's not in here, I asked Merrick, my youngest son, this question, what do you need to change? Because I, I had something in mind. I was like, what do you need to change about your morning routine to be able to seek God first? He goes, what if I like my morning routine? <laughs> I was like, well, your morning routine's bad. You like to get up and check the news, the, the weather, the surf, and all these things, and you're not in the Word. So anyways, but he's like, what if people don't need to change their morning routine? <laughs> it was funny. But what do you need to do to change about your morning routine to be able to make time to seek God first? That's an important practice here. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your goodness and your generosity towards each one of us. God, I know personally that when I'm, when I'm um, in, experiencing enslavement to my desires for more, that, I, that I'm missing out on the wonderful gifts you have given me. God, I pray that you would help us understand and actually believe that you made us with these desires for more. You've placed eternity in our hearts. But help us understand that you're the only one that can satisfy that desire. A new house, a new car, more money, more success cannot even come close. God, help us to find our contentment in you 
so that we can see straight about how to live in this world appropriately and responsibly and generously. God, I believe that this is only possible by your power. I ask that you would work in our lives, you would give us clear vision, and then give us the power to back it up. In Jesus' name, amen.